I don't want anybody to be sorry for me because now in my work, I can see it in these young people, even in adults, I can see it looking at them in the face. And I've been able to connect with people who are in that early stage of coming out about the abuse in a very deep and meaningful way and relate in a way that normalizes the the pain and also validates where they're at. And that has been a blessing, Um, just like with recovery from substances um, and, you know, the reboot. This has also given me power and get pushed me to go deeper into who I am, into the, the core of Patrick. Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. Episode R049 features Patrick Bowes. Patrick is a world traveler who currently splits his time between his hometown of Fort Smith, Arkansas, and life with his husband in New York City. Patrick says that being gay may be the least interesting part of his life. In this episode, Patrick talks about sharing a truth with his family that was even more difficult than coming out. He also shares how the 12 steps of recovery helped him pull out of a dark time in his life after he lost his business, his longtime partner, and was in the throes of a dangerous chemical addiction. And Patrick explains how a nun in Fort Smith, Arkansas, accepted him for who he is, which in turn helped him learn to push past the shame of sexual abuse. Here's Patrick's story. Patrick, thanks for inviting us into your life today. And it's such a privilege to be able to talk to you. We've never met, but we have friends, uh, mutual friends, and it's it's just neat to get to know you. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a really it's a small world. Um, I've I've enjoyed hearing my friends on here, and uh, you know I'm very excited to to be here and share some of my passion. Um, it, I'm usually the one getting other people to talk, so this should be an interesting experience um, hearing myself talk. So, <laughs> yeah. And and you before we started rolling here, you were telling me showing me exactly where 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 you are. You're you are you're in New York City, the Big Apple. Yes, I am. I um, split my time between uh, my hometown, Fort Smith, Arkansas, and New York City. So I go back and forth um, every month. Um, when I get here, I'm home, and when I get there, I'm home. So, and it's weird because sometimes I get homesick. So, <laughs> kind of upside down. <laughs> That's- Funny. Well, tell me what what takes you back and forth. Uh, tell me just a little bit about the rhythm of your life beyond being on a plane twice a month at least. Well, I, I met my husband. He's a New Yorker, and um, so we were here. And part of my own story was, I while I was here, I had like many people do. I 
got into, I got into trouble. So, uh, you know, had a, had a relapse. So at one point I thought the best thing to do would be go home, back home and be with my family, take myself out of the environment. Um, uh, and while I was there, I set up a life for myself. Uh, I had a strong um, network of people to support me um, as I got better. So, um, you know, once that, and then, but I still had this man here that I love and that was standing by me through everything. So it became a long distance relationship. Uh, ultimately got a job that I love there and he has his job that he loves here. So we made it work. Um, and, you know, it gave us time, gave me time um, to work through my own process. And uh, now I'm working on my own. So I'm going back and forth. Uh, I'm a recovery coach. So I have clients in New York um, and I have clients in Arkansas. So I split my time going back and forth and kind of plug in the holes by doing phone coaching and video coaching. So I'm, I'm able to be in both places. So we just blew a whole bunch of people's minds here, Patrick, because I do that. (laughs) I know because what, what I'm hearing you say is that you found support in Fort Smith, Arkansas, not exactly a bastion of, of, um, just this acceptance of a gay marriage, right? You're right. What on earth is going on here? I mean, I think that's amazing. And I have goosebumps just, just thinking about it because I too have had a tough time understanding how all of this works, you know, and you found support here versus what some would consider just the backwards nature um, of of um, love and accepting different types of of living. Ha, ha, wow. Yeah, well, I'll start this by saying that I have a very supportive family. And I'm uniquely blessed to have that. Um, my parents are, you know, it, it took it was a process of them getting to the point where they were, they were accepting. Um, it's been 20 years that I've been out of the closet. So it's been a process for sure. But in the time that I was here in New York, they came and visited us, stayed with us and got used to the situation. And more than anything, they just, they just loved with all their heart and they accepted me as I am. Um, so that was, that is, that was the first step. So moving back home, living with my parents, having them, uh, you know, help me create my um, routine again, uh, my new life. So that was, and then whenever I did get on my own, I happened to be right around the corner from 30 AA meetings a week. So I literally could just walk around the corner and hit a meeting. And, you know, those rooms, they, another place, they didn't care. They just loved you know, I, I, they did care and they, but they loved in an authentic way. And I was always welcome. So I had those things going for me. And, you know, what other thing I will say is despite everything, uh, what I was going through uh, somewhere along the line, I learned to love myself and I just stood in that 
my power and my ability to love, um, to love myself and let other people see how to love me by doing that. So I, you know, I, I just stood bold in that and that. And, you know, I think that's a lot of times what we need to do is show people how to love us. Patrick, that's huge. And I, I can't help but think, you know, when you say that you've learned how to love yourself and help others know how to love you, that's exactly why I really wanted to talk to you. Um, and I suspect it has something to do with why um, you have gone into um, life and recovery coaching. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, I had a coach um, that, that showed me these things. Um, and now, you know, having worked, now I'm able to use those same um those same rules to live by and help other people have the, the, the happiness that I've been, that I've been able to find. Do, do you work with, with people who are learning how to love themselves um, and just accept the fact that their sexual identity is different from quote, the norm air quotes um, as well as maybe helping their families come to terms and learn to love and accept the way um, your parents have come to love and expect love and accept you and your husband. Now, I um, my clients come in all shapes and sizes, but to answer your question, yes, most of my clients are, you know, dealing with that question of loving themselves. Um, and you know, they're having different behaviors, uh, or substances that are, they're using in place of love. So I, the way I see it is, you know, there's a hole in their heart that needs to be filled with something. And some of us pour, chug a bottle of, um, you know, of, of whiskey, for example, into that hole to fill it, um, but, you know, when we step back, we find better habits, we find a spiritual life that fills that with light, that we can feel that completion. I really just, I believe that we were born to be in connection with, with our God. And that we're, we're here to be in relationship. And life is all about relationships. Uh, and primarily, when we talk about spirituality, it's that relationship with God and hand in hand and walking this life together. Mm. Well, I want us to, to dig deeper into all of this, but I want to pause for just a second um, and make sure that someone who wants to get in contact with you now knows how to do that. Like, um, maybe hop on a call with you to see if you guys are a good fit, that kind of thing. How does somebody reach out to you? They can, um, you can find me on my website. It's Patrick Bowes. Um, I'm sure it's spelled there, but B O Z E.com. So that's Patrick And okay. you can contact me, um, fill out the form or my phone number's on there. So feel free to call. I do prefer phone calls. Um, that's my, my style. You can text me and we'll figure out a time to jump on a call. Okay. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Um, 
So let's kind of start back to, um, you, you said you've been out for, uh, 20 something years. Um, take me up to the point at which, um, you knew you were different. Well, I've always known I was different. I always knew that there was a, that I saw the world a little bit differently. Um, so that was, uh, and you know, in the eighties, it was a, a different time. It was the, uh, during, you know, the beginning of AIDS and, um, and I'll go ahead and say that I, you know, a, as a young child, I was molested. And I say that because a lot of people, and I see this a lot, a lot of gay men and women have that in their story. And it's, it's important to, to speak that, um, because as we get older, that trauma leads into addiction. So, um, that's, you know, it's not, it's, it's not a perfect formula, but it's there. So in my case, um, you know, as a five or six year old, I didn't understand what that, what it meant. How can you, you know, as a five or six year old, you're just, you know, you don't have, you know, the logical brain power that we do as adults. So I actually saw AIDS as being gay as a result of AIDS. So that's the way I rationalized it. And I had thought that I had AIDS as a five-year-old. So um, it was, uh, you know, there was many, many nights that I remember crying myself to sleep, thinking that I was, you know, that I was going to die as a child. So um, that was, it was, uh, it was un definitely unpleasant. Uh, you know, I've worked through this and, but when you asked me, when did I know it was very early? Mm. Yeah. That's gotta be, that's gotta make you feel isolated in a lot of ways. Oh yes. It, it, it made it. Um, and you know, with most molestation, there is the grooming, um, yeah. by the, by the predator. Um, I was convinced that not to tell. So I, I kept the secret. Um, so that was, yes, very isolating. I, I learned to cope things alone and to really, that's when it start. I started lying about my sexuality, um, that, you know, lying about what had happened. And, you know, it was all just very confusing at that age. Um, it's confusing now, but I, I've been able to pull it out and unpack it. When did you finally share with someone that you had been molested? It was, I was in college, junior year of college. And it's a long time. Yeah. Long time. A long time. Um, and I had seen this individual exhibiting that behavior with other children at, at a, uh, a family event or a wow. kind of a community thing. And I told myself at that point that I wouldn't let that happen again. And that in one year's time, I would have came out about the abuse. And that 
Mm. because I just, I couldn't let another child be hurt. Um, I, I was very, had very strong convictions about that. And that though started a spiral of depression for me because I knew that I had that deadline and I had something big. I had a lot to do. Um, and it, it took me about seven or eight months to work through it. Um, there's a workbook that I recommend for survivors of child abuse. I worked through that. I had a therapist and I was able to finally tell my parents mm. and, uh, you know, broke the cycle. Did you, did you also come out to them at that same session? I had, I had already came out. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. I had already came out. Um, and it was, that was, that was a bigger secret in my mind than being gay. And being, well, that's what it was. Yeah. And coming out as gay was very scary. This was even bigger. Why do you think that is Patrick? Oh, you know, I, I wish I had an eloquent way of it, describing it, but I was, I was programmed not to say anything. And there were, you know, it was such an important part of who I was, was keeping this secret. And I, I had more shame about being abused than about being gay. I saw people, you know, in my senior year of high school, uh, my, my grandparents gave me a trip to Paris. I'd been studying French and in college, or in high school rather. And my senior year trip, I was in, in the bus with the, the other students and we were going down a street and I see, I saw a, a couple, a, a, a gay couple walking down the streets, holding hands. And that's when it our, it all started changing for me that this was okay. And so it, it, you know, coming from such a small town, this is by this time, it was the nineties still wasn't accepted. This is before will and grace. Um, so there were no, I had no role models to speak of, you know, no one that I saw around. Um, and so that was, that was the first time. And then coming out, I, it was shame. Mm. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that, Patrick. Well, you know what? And I don't want I don't want anybody to be sorry for me because now in my work, I can see it in these young people, even in adults, I can see it looking at them in the face. And I've been able to connect with people who are in that early stage of coming out about the abuse in a very deep and meaningful way and relate in a way that normalizes the, the pain and also validates where they're at. And that has been a blessing. Um, just like with recovery from substances um, and, you know, the reboot, this has also given me power and get, pushed me to go deeper into who I am, into the, the core of Patrick. So I'm not, I'm not sorry at all. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. I have one more question before we, we, we kind of move on to a, a, a little bit different topic. Um, when you shared with your parents 
what had happened to you, uh, what, what changed in your life and in their life? It went, I went from being the victim of abuse to being a survivor and a fighter. I, for me, I had to go, I have a very large family. I had to go to my family and tell them what had happened and making sure that it didn't happen again. So it, it, it turned me into a fighter and it was a very much a pivotal point in my life. Wow. So I guess advice and encouragement that you have with your clients is, um, to very carefully and safely work through and navigate like the, the workbook um, and, and professional help and stuff like that. And then go ahead and do the thing that seems the hardest for you to do is to, to share, right? Yeah. We have to be honest with ourselves first uh, and with the world. That's, that's where authenticity is, is in honesty. So and that's easier said than done. It's actually one of the hardest things. And then remaining um, um, authentic. Um, okay. So um, let's kind of, you know, move forward. Your life is going pretty well or decent, maybe. Or or is that just kind of a new phenomenon? Is uh, a decent life for Patrick? <laughs> Uh, no, I've 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 been had a I've had a blessed life. Um, I've lived um, in six major cities. I've um, been lucky enough to get an education, follow my dreams. I've had a, a various different careers. I'm kind of a, a a free bird in that I'll get to a place, understand the people, and catch wind and and find myself somewhere else learning new people and just seeing different things so it's i've had it's it's been a good life you do have a good life you travel all over the place and and experiencing new things that's that's pretty awesome um so let's kind of work toward um where you realized you had a substance abuse problem. Um, and, and then I want to pivot from your personal experience experiences to kind of how that's, that's, that's typical, um, especially with gay men. We've talked about that earlier. Uh, and I know that's a, a deep concern for you. So kind of share with me when you realized time out, uh, there are some things in my life that require me to work the 12 steps of recovery. You know, for, for me, it, there was, I was drinking a lot in high school. I, I remember getting in trouble um, with that, with my parents, uh, a lot of threats. And they eventually told me either stop drinking or you're you know, going to rehab or at the time it was reform school. So, um, and that, that had, that made me stop. And, and, but you know, when I got to college and like everybody else, there was a lot of drinking and, you know, my twenties were heavy drinking. Um, but I'd say fairly typical. Um, and 
that that continued into my mid twenties, and I discovered yoga, and I just fell in love with the practice, and that became my drug of choice, uh, and I I I did it sometimes twice a day. I just didn't have time for drinking in my life anymore. I was working on me, um, working on a spiritual practice of my own, and. That ultimately led me to Puerto Rico, and that's when I first started life coaching. I was doing my own practice, and then I was working for a company coaching other people. The whole time, just really working on myself, that was my spiritual practice, and that was really the first time I consider myself to have worked through that, even though it wasn't through a 12-step. It was a, you know another path to recovery. Um, and part of my program was going to grad school, and then I started my own business. And that went very well um, for a couple years. Um, it was a startup, a tech startup. Um, but I was, one in 10 tech startups don't make it, or one in 10 make it, I should say. So, um, and as it got closer toward the end, I could see the writing on the wall. And losing my business was heartbreaking. And I was in business with my husband. So we were living together, sleeping together, uh, working together. And we were together all the time. And those four years seemed like you know, 20 years. So, and we couldn't, you know, we had put everything into our business, all of our money, all of our time. And to see it, us not getting that next round of investments. And then ultimately we, we lost our patent. So it, it was heartbreaking for both of us and started having an effect on our relationship. So, and that was right about the time that it was my late twenties. And that was right about the time that I started drinking again and going out uh, a lot more. And I was, you know, turned on to crystal meth. And that's, um, it started out, uh, the thing about, and that's, that's, that's my passion now is talking about crystal meth and its use in gay men because we're at a point where some consider it to be an epidemic. And this is the second time that we're in this situation with crystal meth and, and this community. Uh, the first was in the 2000s. A lot of research was put into it, and it seemed to diminish. There were some legislative things, um, like restriction on ability to buy nasal, um, nasal medication. That put um that slowed slowed it down um there was also a major concern about hiv and um so that slowed it down but we're in a situation now where it's it's going up dramatically so uh but in my story you know it seemed like everybody was doing it, it was so normal normalized to do that uh and it was the perfect way to escape and that's what i did I, um, I, I was, I just wanted to get out. I just wanted to get out of my situation. I wanted to not feel 
the sadness from losing my company and, you know, also losing my relationship. And it just, one thing made the next thing worse and it just became a very vicious cycle. Mm. Wow. So then what happened as you were spiraling out of control with this long-term relationship and endangering your health? Well, I, yeah, very much danger is the situation that I found myself in. And it, nothing, you know, this, it's hard to get out of that whenever you're in it. And I was very much in the situation, um, living it. And it seemed like the pain of the relationship would would exacerbate the addiction and that would in turn make the pain with the relationship. So I ultimately made the decision to move, to get out of the situation. And that's whenever I found myself back home. Okay. Um, and that it wasn't a turnkey fix either. It didn't like, I didn't just leave the city and my life was better. Hmm. <laughs> but that would be very nice if it were, but it, it, it definitely started me down that road. Uh, I was lucky enough to find uh, a therapist who is actually a nun, and she was able to sit with me, and she coached me to to finally walk into the rooms of AA. A therapist and, who was a nun in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Yes. How awesome is that? Yes, she... Um, she, you know, she really was the turning point for me. Mm. We're still, we're still close today and she's supporting, you know, what I'm doing and, you know, one of my biggest supporters and she actually gave me my one year coin. Wow. Um, and yeah, very special. But, uh, the last thing I wanted to be was an alcoholic, um, it was so, you know, it's such a normal thing. And I knew my problem was crystal meth, but it took me a while before I was willing to admit that, um, uh, to walk into AA. It's tough to walk into a recovery meeting for the first time, isn't it? It is. Yeah. But I had everybody, I walked in, they gave me a, a book, they gave me hugs and they welcomed me home. And that's when I met my first sponsor that day. He came up um, and made me feel at home. So that was, it was, it was a great point in my life. Mm -hmm. Now, I wasn't in a great point in my life, mm -hmm. but it definitely opened up a new chapter for me. And like I said, it was right around the corner from me. I, I was, I wanted what he had and I was dealing, willing to do whatever he said. And I thought he was a toughie to hearing him in the meeting, but it came out to be just a teddy bear. So. <laughs> well, let's kind of walk me through how you restored your sanity and then how that morphed into uh, uh, renewing your relationship with your longtime partner. Well, they were both, um, you know, a lot of work. For me, I had a, the turning point. Um, it was the day that I knew that I was done 
I had done enough research and I was ready to, to call it quits. And that was going, uh, you know, I, I put it all in my meetings. The maybe meetings saved my life. Good sponsorship. Uh, I worked the steps, um, you know, some t- as fast as I could. Honestly, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to be on the other side. And I didn't, you know, I, I didn't waste a minute. I worked hard for it. And like I said, I did everything they said. I, I just kept coming back. And slowly, it, my, my mind started coming back too. And I knew something had changed when I got, um, you know, 90 days. And that was, that's whenever, you know, I had some confidence in my stride. And I felt like I was getting back to my old self. And for my relationship, I he started to see the change in me. Of course, we were we were long distance, and he had, you know, every reason not to trust me because he had stuck. You know, he had been beside me. He had seen it. Um, and but he, one day, I was able to just communicate to him in a very honest way because I had lied to him about a lot of this uh, because that that's very much. One of my first behaviors was lying and hiding. So I, I hid so much from him that one day I was able to just be honest. And he knew that was when that it had changed, when that light had came back on, and whenever I was able to just be honest. So that's the moment whenever I would say, really, I got my sanity back. Um, I forgave myself enough to be honest. Wow. Wow. And then what happened? And then what happened? Uh, it was uphill from there. I um, just worked so hard to to get to make up what I would say, make up for lost time. And um, which I don't necessarily <laughs> recommend that, you know, some, some, sometimes it's good to just to take a break and be yourself and be in the moment and, and to heal. Um, that's not necessarily the what the route I took. I was, I was out every day. I was working. I was, uh, for me, my natural comfort zone is helping people, and that's the reason I love my job now. Um, is helping people. So I um, immediately got involved in my community. I, um, that's that kept me sober and that keeps me sober is helping other people. And that's really whenever people ask me, how'd you do it? That the number one tool, my hammer is helping people. And I, if, if I'm having a problem or in my head too much, my sponsor says to me, who did you help today? And that immediately snaps me out of it and puts me in a place in a mindset of, of helping and, and, you know, I, I need to be here for them and I need to be here for myself to do that. Yeah. Well, let's shift gears for a little bit, Patrick, um, because y- you're in a unique position to um, to help me and a lot of us understand uh, a few things that, you know, there the this is just a hard subject to broach for a lot of people who are uncomfortable um, 
with the topic of gay marriage, right? Um, and so I know I have been one of the people who has, I've, I've, I've said these things and I, I need to ask you the hard questions about the difference between what I always thought I was saying versus what you're hearing in terms of not feeling accepted. Okay. So the first thing would be, um, this goodness knows we've heard this a lot. Uh, love the sin, hate the sinner. What does that mean to you? Well, I guess I'm in a unique situation where I, in my program, I, I don't really even hear the word hate. So I, it, I just, I'm full with, so full of compassion um, for people's experience and understanding that, you know, and, but a lot of, a lot of this, a lot of it, what you just said is what we've been taught. And I was, you know, there was times in my life that I was taught the same lesson. Um, and that, you know, in coming out, I had to relearn that lesson that I was not, that I could love me and it wasn't a sin. So that, that was for, that was the hardest part is overcoming all of these lessons that society has taught me that being gay is wrong. Um, I knew that I had a very strong relationship with God. Um, I sought out God at, at, as a kid, and he's been a part of my life and my journey. Um, and I knew that there was nothing wrong with that. And so that was that would be my answer to you is, is okay. yeah. And of realize Jesus never said that. What he said was love one another. Love, yes. <laughs> there are no exclusion clauses on that greatest commandment with promise. Yes, love is the law. Yeah. yeah. Okay. the 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 next thing is um, that that I still hear. I can't agree with your lifestyle. What is that? What does that mean to you when someone says that? Is that someone trying to be enlightened and accepting, but maybe further marginalizing you, or do you just kind of ignore it now because of the different place you're at? That comes to, and not just in terms of of this community or this conversation, it also relates back to, are you going to accept someone or tolerate someone? And that, it, how do you want to live your life? Um, for me, tolerate is almost a, a no, no word. And I, you know, you just have to, you just have to put your arms around it and accept and go, you know, goes back to uh, loving your neighbor. And when you're not accepting someone, what are you doing with your own vulnerable self? That's that's the danger in it, is how you're treating yourself. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is is I've never been married. It's not for lack of effort or relationships. It just never happened. And and 
it doesn't happen as often anymore, but uh, I'll get I'll get somebody saying asking me, "Are you gay?" No, but there's not anything wrong with that. And you know what? Then here's the thing, Patrick. After that, the conversation is over. No one asks me if I'm sexually active or not because they know it's none of their business at that point. So why is that? Why is that? Why why is whether you're sexually active or not somebody else's business, right? Yeah, I mean, we our natural tendency is try to to bucket people and to understand and get a grasp for um, for people. So that's that's a human thing. Um, so, but yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't make much difference. And um, I work with a lot of kids. And I, I find that being gay is one of the least interesting parts of who I am. <laughs> and so, you know, it's it, it, honestly, I, that's um, so, but I, I, I will champion, champion the, the cause and the message because I know that for these young people, it, that's a very important part of accepting themselves. And, um, being integral so i i do i do i do wear that um and and advocate for that for for the next person because i remember it it wasn't easy coming out and i didn't have role models so i see that you know it's really important that we give these young people role models um to to people to look up to Okay, I want to take a ch- chase a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's interesting. You know, when when you were talking about role role models before and when you came out, um, you said that was pre will and grace. Um, wh- what's the importance of a- as you're coaching young people um, through their sexual identity? What's what's the importance of say will and grace or any of the other role models who have come out over the years, does that make it easier to help someone come to terms with their sexuality? I would definitely, I would say, you know, having, being able to see someone in, you know, I can speak from my case, um, someone who was successful, someone who um, had a, a normal life, um, that was able to love and to be loved, um, and just just a, an, an actor on a t- show, just like anybody else, or character that you'd see on TV. I think I think that is important to normalize it. Yeah. Uh, along that line, then um, it, we've we've kind of debunked some of the 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 things that we say that. Hurt hurt other people unknowingly. What is a way um, to show love and acceptance for someone who says, mom, I'm gay. Um, Aunt so-and-so, I'm gay. Someone in our, in, in our church community or uh, our neighbor, how do we in Fort Smith, Arkansas, or anywhere else in the world, model that behavior that says, I love you. I want to 
from what I what I see is just immediately following it with I love you no matter what. That was what was most important for me. Um, my father, he's you know, it was an emotional it was an emotional few hours, but we ended it by saying with him saying to me, you know, I may not understand, but what I do know is that I love you and never leave me. So I would say that that was perfect for me. It healed me in, um, it healed a lot of the judgment that I had for myself and understanding that, you know, society has taught us that this is wrong. Uh, and so understanding where that person is coming from and the hurt and the, and the, the trauma, it's, it, it is a, it's a traumatic experience. So having compassion for, for their, for their journey and what they're going through in that moment, I could, I would say is, is the, at the root of it. Uh, The other thing that you're going to see and that I see a lot uh, with, with the teens I work with is like most teens, they're pretty dramatic. So they're going to be in a situation and this, that, you know, we're not really taught how to talk about our feelings. No, we're not. not There's not a class about talking about our feelings. So they come, they come out in a very, um, in weird ways. And with teenagers, it's usually drama. Um, and so I would say whenever that is said, or when you're preparing yourself to hear that, just understand that the drama has to do with the, you know, just the coping with those feelings. And I, 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 you know, that's what I coach my teens with. But, you know, okay, you want to share this with them. What's the best way to say this so that they can hear you? So and let's, let's be compassionate for what their experience is and how best to be in a loving relationship. And in that way you can, they can reciprocate that love to you. So that's, I, I see that most is that, you know, wanting to jump out of the box and say, I'm gay, you know, accept me, damn it. And that it's, you know, and demanding that change right there when this is a process. Mm. Uh, in my in my case, my father felt like I had been lying to him. And that for him was the hardest part that I had been lying about. You know, we had spent so many beautiful years together having, you know, a great relationship. And there was this part of me that I had been hiding and that hurt him. And he thought it was malicious. Uh, and I was able to explain to him that this is just, this is a process that I've been going through. So it wasn't, it, it wasn't meant to, to separate us. How long did it take from the moment your dad said, I love you? I don't understand it, but I love you, to the place where you guys have a, a, a really good relationship between your family and your husband. I mean, you said it's a process. How does that work? Is it ongoing conversations or is it just not talking about it much or both? You know, we don't, 
we don't necessarily talk about it. Uh, it's little things. Um, I find that it's a it's a, a res- sometimes it's about respecting each other's process. So um, and th- that's life. You're respecting what everybody else's journey. Um, I'm I'm the star of my story, and you're the story of your star of your story. So we're just two stories happening at the same time. So I have to sit back and see how how your story is 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 un, un, is happening um, at the same time mine is, and respect that you're it's your turn to cross the street. But to answer your question, it was a ma- it was a it was time it was years. Before we wrap up, though, uh, I want to give you just an opportunity to uh, talk about anything you want to talk about, Patrick. I mean, we've kind of done that a little bit, but the floor is yours. What we know is that gay men and women are more likely to have issues with addiction. This happens because of societal and internalized homophobia. You know, I talked to you about that. It's the world accepting us and also accepting ourselves. Uh, that can be a lonely place. And um, there's also, you know, shame. I mentioned that. Um, also gay and gay men and women are more, more likely to have childhood trauma. Um, I don't know exactly the correlation between them, but we do see that. So it all leads up to, uh, a bigger problem. And that's not something that many people know. And that's, that's a passion of mine. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, the, crystal meth, uh, and the epidemic that we're dealing with right now, uh, it started out in major cities, uh, and now it's just worldwide. Um, it's, a, a major problem and it's, it, it hits all areas of the population. People don't realize that. And it has a stereotype of, um, of, of being, you know, like, like a better words, um, white trash, a white trash drug, uh, you know, a trucker or truckers and, um, bikers. That's, you know, that's who made it big. Um, but it's actually a more of an affluent population that's, that has, yeah, it's, um, in special major cities, it's a very affluent population. And what they'll find is they quickly lose everything. Um, like in the case of a lot of, um, addiction. So, and now, I mean, we are seeing it going into other populations, um, but it's it's a disease that hits everybody, and it's it's become normalized, uh, accepted. Um, so many, and then in terms of alcohol, it's it's so normal for my friends to get together and drink. It's so it's it's a big part of our. Um, yeah, substance abuse is a big part of our culture, of this culture. Hmm. What can we do about that? Well, you know, at a societal level, it's starting to accept each other and we're doing that. Um, and we're, you know, I, I personally feel like we're doing a good job of that. Um, 
things are changing. The sentiment is changing. Of course, I'm in New York City, so <laughs> it's uh, very much the norm. But, it, but in Fort Smith, you have a nun who's a therapist and who is your biggest champion. Yes, I do. That's um, and and I guess that's where I'm kind of headed with this, Patrick. Is I don't ever want us to underestimate the power of one relationship because her obedience results in a chain reaction of your obedience. And now then you're in a position to help people and that chain continues. And that's just how I see um, the 12 steps of recovery is my obedience impacts somebody else because someone else's obedience made a difference in my life in helping me control anger and get better at how I manage grief and all of these other things that aren't chemical addictions, but are just as damaging, right? So, yeah. You're right. Love's kind it's, of a big thing, isn't it? Love is a big thing. It's all Life is all about relationships, um, relationships with ourselves, relationships with our habits and our behaviors, with each other, with our world, with God. So it's, you know, showing up for each other. Uh, and yeah. that's, that's the key. It is, isn't it? Yeah. So again, before I let you go, um, what's the best way for someone to, to contact you and, and have a, a meaningful conversation about these things to improve their relationships and their self-image? The key to coaching is it's a very extremely private relationship. Um, I, I hear things that I will never repeat that. I can't, I, I, that that's, that's, it's my privilege to hold on to these things. So um, the best way to get me is by phone. Um, you can call, you can find my number on my website, patrickbows.com, um, or, you know, just pick up the phone and call me. It's 479-462-7011. I'm happy to talk and um, to see if it's a good fit. You're a good man, Patrick. Thank you uh, for sharing your story. Uh, I, I, it's, it, I serve humbly, and like I said, I guess I can get back to getting other people to talk. It's <laughs> 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 definitely my oh. comfort zone. <laughs> well, next time you're in Fort Smith, let's grab a cup of coffee or a cup of tea at Savoy, maybe. That'd be great. I'll be back soon. Thank you, Patrick, for sharing your story. And Hey, if you're into tea, seriously, check out Savoy Tea in Fayetteville, Fort Smith, and on the interwebs, you can order, and it is so good. This episode is clearly Patrick Bose's story, but it is also a tribute to his family. It's not, by any means, a political statement or a theological opinion. It's meant to be an encouragement to moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, and friends who grew up in church and feel completely torn between everything they've been taught and the love they feel for the one who finally said, I'm gay. I hope Patrick's story tells loved ones. It's safe to keep loving your child, grandchild, niece, nephew, cousin, and friend. They're the same people they've always been. 
But now you know something new about this person you love and what a privilege it is that they now trust you with a thing that has troubled them for a long, long time. As Patrick reminds us all, it is a process. And in, as with any situation, it is not the job of a loved one to tell adults how to respond. It is our job to love others, period. Recently, I was overcomplicating one, actually probably more aspects of my business, and I wrote myself this note in my journal. Pray more, worry less. Embrace the journey, Tracy. Live your life. Live it well. You never know how many people you'll help, especially when you let God do the heavy lifting. That seems to apply here as we close out this episode of the Reboots podcast. Hey, if, uh, if you want to do us or any of your favorite podcasts a solid, head over to iTunes and post an honest review. We very much appreciate your feedback. It helps us make decisions about the kinds of topics and stories that you want to hear. Plus, it does help others find us easier. It is very easy for you to access Reboots in the iTunes store, rebootspodcast.com forward slash iTunes. I'm Tracy Wenchel. We'll see you next time. Deo Valente. We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom.